Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast that takes you into the world of impact innovation and investments in Israel. I am Alina Shkolniko-Schwarzman, and I had the Impact Entrepreneurship Department for the Edmund de Rothschild Foundation in Israel. On our podcast, I set out to interview top professionals in the field, entrepreneurs, investors, and field builders, and together we take a deep dive into the local impact ecosystem. Today, we're proud to have with us Erwin Abudbul, Startup Advisor, Sustainable Development Goals, Adnan Jambar, co-founder of Yala Rayada, and Gil Blumenfeld, CEO of Otarki. So Erwin, we'll start with you. How did Google come to work in this space of impact? I'd have to go back, I think, 10 years ago, uh, starting with when I was in New York. And uh, back then, we were basically uh, still in a startup, more or less mode at Google and having this 20% time where you get to do whatever you want, right? And uh, with a few friends, we were in a micro kitchen. It was uh, back then when the iPhone just got out and it was a crazy uh, application time. Let's build applications. And so we came up with an idea at that time that was like, hey, let's build something so you could support NGOs and make micro donations on the go. And that's how I got started with Impact uh, at Google, building applications to help people do the right thing and nudge them to to be good, basically. And um, 10 years later, uh, left New York, moved to Israel and uh, Startup Nation, right? And started working with uh, startups and Google campus out there and being an advisor to startups. And four or five months later, with my background in social impact and uh, my interest in startups, started brainstorming about what is it that we can do at Google to support those entrepreneurs really who are trying to do some impact and started networking. And that's how I, I think I, I got to meet you at some point. Uh, talked to all the players in the field and identified that there's an opportunity here to really support those entrepreneurs because they're struggling. Uh, it's really difficult for them. Uh, they're very much behind any way you look at it, whether it's from an investment standpoint or skill standpoint or... And uh, looking at this, we're like, what is it that we can do at Google, given the resources that we have to help this ecosystem? And last year, we've run the first Google for Startup Accelerator, Sustainable Development Goals. We selected 11 startups from Europe, Middle East and Africa, some of them uh, from Israel. And we launched this in a virtual environment because it was COVID time. It was the first time we did this in a virtual. Usually we do this in physical spaces. And it was a success. Uh, we finished in September last year and everybody was happy. The startups were happy. The Google employees and advisors who helped the startups were happy. And and then we took a step back and said, okay, this is amazing, but it's 11 startups and we need way more, right? When you look at the billions and the thousands of entrepreneurs in the regular startup environment and, and the nothing really in the impact startup environment when you compare both and we're like, let's think about how we can scale that. And this is what we started to do in 2021, really taking, it, taking that type of initiative to the next level. And, and this year we're helping hundreds of startups uh, worldwide and really uh, looking at uh, the next big thing for us, how we support this ecosystem at scale. And we have two examples of such startups with us today. So we'll start with you, Adnan. Can you tell us a little bit about your startup and the work that you guys are doing? My startup name is called Yalla Riyada, and Riyada means sports, Yalla Sports. For now, the application is in Arabic, targeting uh, the Arabic region. In this startup, you will find fitness training programs and nutrition programs recorded and uh, edited by the fitness trainers themselves. 
When we started the startup a year ago, we as a company, me and my friends, went to the trainers, we recorded them and we edited the videos and we put them on our application and started selling online. But we realized that people prefer authentic over perfect. So we pivoted our business model and we said, why we don't give all the tools to the trainers and by themselves, they can create their own programs and they can publish them on our platform and they can make money through us. And this is our platform today. It's a platform for trainers where they can put their training programs and sell it to the people around them and make some money for them. And what sustainable development goal are you targeting through your work? Wellness, which is SDG number three. Uh, these decent work. We opened uh, job opportunities for trainers on both genders equally, the male and the female, so also the gender equality. And uh, I hope this will lead to no poverty. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Gil, how about you? So actually, we founded Otaki three years ago, and we are trying to solve some of the main issues of our generation that we need to handle before COVID and even more after COVID, which is actually the price of housing, the cost of living, the instability of our economical markets. And in the end, we don't forget that global warming is uh, just right uh, in the corner. So what we are doing, we, we are building a platform for self-sustainable living cooperatives that provide all the needs for their members and can solve most of these problems in a new model. So we have in one side a new economical model, which is based on shared ownership model of the members of the cooperative. And we have our digital system that provides the local economy infrastructure and a platform that optimizes and manages all the sustainable environment that people can handle because today it's very difficult to handle your production of food, energy, water, and so on. Adnan touched upon their business model. I understand your impact model, but what is your business model? Not the cooperative's model, but yours, your platforms. Cooperative today are for profit. It's not the kibbutz from the 1960s and 70s. And actually what we are doing, we are transforming this neighborhood, this building or this community to build self-sufficient so they can produce more. They produce energy, they produce food, they produce digital services. At the end, what we do, we sell the excess of the products outside of the community and we earn a cut, a rev share cut from uh, these earnings. And how did you come up with this idea? Well, maybe it's because I got 40. Some men, you know, got the, the issues with the age of 40. But I believe that I got to a situation in my life that I founded two companies, one in cybersecurity, one in digital services in video, worked for 24 years in the industry, had some very great roles, earned a lot of money. But when I came to 40, I realized that I have nothing. If tomorrow I will stop working, I can't supply the needs for my family. If something would happen, I can't supply it. So it's like zero point. Every time you grow bigger, you earn more money, you get more respect. But the basic needs of your life and the way that you need to supply everything to your family and neighbors and city, it's all the time growing. Prices goes up, you need more and more money to invest and it's like a circle. And I thought, what can we do in order to provide prosper living to all those people in order to proceed with their lives? And as someone in the last 25 years, I went to two uh, universal economical collapse Two in Israel, another war that in the middle. So every few years, you go two steps back. And this is why I think the resilience issue came to be very important for me while I'm looking to the future and I see that the next things that we will have to handle with are much more bigger than we knew before. And COVID just was just the first example for it. 
couldn't agree more. Adnan, same question to you. How do you come to this idea? As a kid, I used to love to do sports all of the time. And if I'm not doing sports, I'm on my laptop doing uh, games and stuff like that. So when I graduated, I studied information technology as, as a major, and I'm still doing sports at the university. And then after I graduated, uh, my friend Mohammed Masalha, my co-founder, came to me and told me, Adnan, I have an idea for you. I know that you love sports and technology all your life. And uh, honestly, I do the same. And he told me that he used to go to the gym all of the time. He's a gymaholic. And while he's there, his friends, people there used to ask him, uh, Muhammad, we need a training plan for us to build muscles or to have this body shape. And he used to go back home and uh, print, translate a training program to Arabic and print it and go back to the gym and sell it to the people for uh, $100. As easy as this. And then more people are coming to ask him for that. He realized that there's a need, there's a demand for training programs. And that's where he came up with this idea. And he came to tell me about it. Let's make it an application. And uh, there together, we started designing the app, how we're going to make the training programs on our application, how we're going to make it also in videos that is more interactive and uh, with gamification, mini games and social media to keep people motivated and engaged. And that's how it all started. But we have a mission also. Like I, I chose to do this because I believe in my co-founder first and I know that he's a very serious entrepreneur. And uh, the second thing is that I want to make impact in the wellness world and in the fitness world. I have a mission. I, I see my family members not living a healthy lifestyle, but I, when I compare myself to them, I wish they can live healthier lifestyles. So I try to bring all the environment that could motivate them to do so. Do you think it's a challenge that's specifically more prevalent with your target market or is this something that you guys are hoping to start with Arabic speakers and then spread to the world? I'm starting in the Arabic market and the reason because I want to see the impact on, on the people I know and see and meet. When I, when I make my solution, the first person I give to test is my mom. <laughs> because I want to see, I wanna see the, the Perfect solution. Perfect first user. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's why I made it in Arabic. And then I realized, wow, the Arabic word, it's not just my mom, it's a, it's a culture there. 80% of women in the Arabic world are overweight, according to the World Health Organization. Wow. And 40% are obese, which means BMI is over than 25. Uh, men are also not perfect. Uh, the 70% the of men in the Arabic world are uh, overweight. Very interesting target market. Erwin, I have a question for you regarding both startups. How do you guys choose who comes into the accelerator? Because they're very different verticals, very different technology. So what's the commonality? First, we don't have an open application for this program. We only work with partners, partners, uh, organizations like impact accelerators, impact investors, NGOs, United Nations organizations, um, public organizations. So the reason why we work with partners is because there's a lot of talent out there, which is local, and we don't have the reach. And, and these impacts minded people usually also don't listen to the usual accelerators and whatnot. So we really are leveraging this network of local organizations who know the people and already vetted them against impact. So we don't have to do this vetting. That's number one. For us, it's really a win. So we work with those partners, they send us referrals, and then we look at them and we select them. The criteria we use is pretty simple. 
one, first and foremost, they have to focus on the sustainable development goals. And usually they do, not always. And this is where it's sometimes a gray line. Like, for example, someone could have a fitness application in the US and like, hey, we're going to make a fitness at home so you don't have to go to the gym. Really, what is the sustainable angle? Not so much. But when you look at uh, Annan, is targeting Arab population, they don't have the gyms, they're overweight, there's a fitness angle, a healthy angle. So he talked about it, diversity, women can go to the gym and with this, now they can. So there's a lot of uh, goals and checkboxes here. So we look at this, number one. Number two, you need to have a team of full-time founders. So that's a requirement. Uh, you can do this on, on the sides. And number three, there's got to be some kind of technology in your solution whether it's software or hardware, but we want to see innovation. So if you're just like, hey, I'm going to create a website to sell stuff online, it's not exactly what we're expecting, even if it's uh, good for the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. So that's at a high level how, how we do our selection. Today we have, I think, 160 startups in the program. Our goal is to get to almost 500 by the end of the year. So every month we keep adding a lot of startups and uh, there's a lot out there uh, that are not on the radar of uh, anyone and those two I'm sure people in Israel may not have heard about them before and so we see a lot of opportunity but we need to support those entrepreneurs. So you touched about one challenge that a lot of impact innovators have which is I don't want to say anonymity but not necessarily as much exposure as others and I would like to ask both of you about other challenges that you're facing as impact entrepreneurs that you wouldn't necessarily be facing maybe if you weren't doing impact and Gilly spoke about work that you did in other spaces. So I think you can make that comparison for us as well. I think the main reason in impact uh, startups, it's the ecosystem. Like we live in Israel. If you have a startup in the cybersecurity domain, if you have a startup in marketing, sales and so on, all the VCs will know you. You can go to accelerators. You can ask for an advice from a friend. Actually, just walk in Tel Aviv and everybody can help you. When you go to impact invest, impact startup, it's a little bit different because one, they put a sign on you that you're an impact person. So maybe you don't want to make money. So you're out of the gang. You won't have fun with us, you know, in Vegas uh, next year or something like that. So they tag you like this. This is the first one. And the second one, I think that most in, in an ecosystem like Israel, most of the investors, venture capitalists and other uh, groups, actually, they are looking for a very high return. Today, because of the spec uh, craziness and the IPOs craziness, you talk with investors, they say, okay, you can make 5x, 10x on the money. It's not good enough because we went from a society that wants to make value extraction all the time instead of value creation. So in impact, we are in the value creation field. And when you create something, it takes time. It takes a lot of efforts, a lot of sleepless nights. Not a lot of people can help you uh, because money is not an issue here. Because money can solve these issues. In this case, you need a lot of people, time, and to actually to find a new path, a new way in this field. And I think that the biggest issue now for us is to find like an ecosystem which Google provide us to meet with people, to talk, to understand what is going on. Because until I went to Google and joined the program, I felt really alone. As an entrepreneur, you're already alone. You have all the problems and then add to this the impact issue that you have no one to talk with, nobody to advise with. And they solve this for us. And it's very important. Adnan, do you feel like there's uh, unique challenges in your work as an impact entrepreneur or because 
I mean, fitness is a more broad field if we compare it, for example, to cooperatives. Is it easier, you think? Um, my biggest challenge is, uh, to be honest, uh, also my family, my father. Uh, if I'm not making any revenues, why are you doing all of this for a year or more? Uh, this is my biggest challenge most of the time. This kind of pressure, social pressure, not just my father, <laughs> uncles, aunts, uh, friends. They, they have some high expectations on me, but at the same time, I'm trying, I'm trying to meet the high expectations, but uh, the way is not easy. Let's double tap on that. So we know that the Israeli ecosystem or the Israeli impact ecosystem as a result of that is very white, Jewish and male. And I'm not sure that that's how you would necessarily define yourself. And I'm wondering if you think that in such a non-diverse ecosystem, do you find being outside of the mainstream an opportunity or a challenge? I think it's not as easy for uh, Arab in Israel or uh, for Palestinian to get fund from uh, white Jewish people because there must be trust building first. You know, in early stage startups, they invest in people more than in the ideas or more than in how much revenue the company makes. And uh, yes, the Arabs, they need to go through uh, another kind of education, another kind of uh, networking events, uh, programs like Tech to Peace. So they can build this trust and understand the Jewish narrative and the, also the Jews who are investing, they should also understand the Arabs' narrative so this trust can be built and they can uh, work with each other or invest in, the, in each other. Erwin, is this something that you guys take into account? A, the idea of diversity within Israeli society or within other cultures? And B, especially in the Middle Eastern context, the fact that sometimes there are cultural boundaries, um, not to say open racism, things like that? So diversity is definitely something top of mind at Google in general. And, and we see this in actual events times again and again. In our program specifically, it's a global program and we have entrepreneurs from all over the world. So by nature, there's diversity in the countries that, that we bring. I think, I don't have the stats in top of my mind, but if you look at the top continents that are being represented, Africa may be out there, uh, US is not. That also tells one thing or two of where impact entrepreneurs are. And, and impact entrepreneurs tend to be where the challenges are. And this is where you find some more in, in Africa. Now, when we select the entrepreneurs, we don't have a special focus in terms of this is uh, diversity, because what does diversity mean in a global environment, right? We, we have Jews, Arabs, Black, White, Asian, everywhere. However, we do try to help women entrepreneurs because this is across the board target uh, population that is getting less support. So when we look at startups, we always try to pay double attention to women entrepreneurs and try to see if they could be a fit. Um, but in general, uh, I would say it's a global program. And when you look at impact entrepreneurs, and I think uh, the two here who got to know the other entrepreneurs, uh, they can see when you see the, the mosaic uh, on, uh, on our hangouts and VC with hundreds of faces, there's actually very little uh, white people out there. <laughs> so we're, <laughs> we're uh, underrepresenting uh, the usual startup tech community. And uh, that's sad in, in a way because... There's a lot of potential out there, but we hope that we're going to encourage more entrepreneurs to shift and do more impact. You touched upon your global cohort, and I would like to ask from that global perspective first you and then our entrepreneurs, what are the global trends that you're seeing today in the impact sphere where you guys are located right now? So every entrepreneur that 
get into the program, we try to allocate them to uh, a particular sustainable development goal. So the 17 of them, if you're not familiar, I highly encourage you to, to go and Google them. And what we see in terms of trends is a lot of SDG3 health, a lot of SDG12, which is about uh, responsible uh, consumption and production. So definitely a lot of this. Uh, also energy, obviously, there's a lot of energy because it's related to carbon. We also see, unfortunately, there's some SDGs who are getting almost no love. And those are the ones that are inherently harder to monetize from a business model standpoint. Uh, when you try to save the fishes, uh, nobody really cares, right? Uh, also, when you're talking about wildlife, it's less... Uh, let's top of mind and also harder to, to monetize. But SDG3, SDG12, SDG11, we see uh, a lot of this. And when I say a lot, it's at least uh, those two are, are like at least twice as many as, as the other ones. And interestingly, uh, when you look at those particular SDGs, SDG3, you will see them in Africa, in India, in Asia, where the healthcare system is not there yet. There's less of that type of SDG3 in uh, developed countries, uh, because developed countries are looking at like the top 1%, uh, what can we do to make them happier, healthier, which is good, but it's not in the spirit of the SDGs. When you go to Africa and Asia, they don't have uh, healthcare to start with, so there's a lot of opportunity for innovation. When you look at SDG 12, responsible uh, production and consumption, by nature, we're already talking about consumption, and those are obviously the Western countries who are consuming more. So we have more of those entrepreneurs in those fields. And obviously, there's the no poverty SDG, which sometimes is cross-cutting across other SDGs. And, and we see also a lot of entrepreneurs here. The interesting part in the no poverty one is that oftentimes we see solutions being developed by entrepreneurs in developed markets, but targeting the developing markets. So we see a lot of Israeli entrepreneurs uh, developing solutions in Africa, and they bring the know-how uh, and the concepts that we've been familiar with in our countries, like insurance that don't exist in Africa. When you talk to a farmer in Africa and you say, if you pay some insurance, next time there's a flood or a drought, we're going to help you. And they look at you and they're like, you want me to pay you and I may get nothing back? Are you crazy? And so those are the type of opportunities that we see. Fascinating. So let's focus on SDG 12 and SDG 3. Adnan, what are the trends that you're seeing in the health and fitness world today? They are trying to gamify the fitness world more and more, making it more uh, competitive between the people who do fitness. Some of the startups use gamification. Some of the startups use image recognition. And uh, yeah, they see how the people, the camera of the phone sees how the people exercise and it gives them like rating percentage of how good he did his exercise today. And uh, because the camera sees, uh, so it can also give him points and it can compare it with the friends. So this is kind of a new trend uh, out there. There's a mirror in Japan uh, that is uh, doing this thing and a peloton as well. Uh, because it, it calculates how much uh, the people are uh, burning calories. And there's also artificial intelligence in Freeletics, for example, where, it you know, Freeletics, it's a, it's a fitness app, a German fitness app, and it makes the program more personalized for the people using artificial intelligence. He says, the user, he says how much he exercised that day and how was it hard or easy. And based on this, the next day, it chooses the program better for him of what to exercise our model is different our model is more social we're giving the tools for the trainers to make their training programs and they can target the people around them 
So making SDG3 more more available to the general public. Exactly, exactly. And I think we're going to reach way more than anyone else because there are so many trainers out there not working in fitness. They, they finish, they graduate in, in the sports and then they go work with their uh, father's small business. But here we're giving them the easy tools for them to create programs and make money out of it. Inshallah. Inshallah. Gil, what trends are you seeing in SDG 12 or other SDGs where you guys are more active? So actually SDG 12 reflects more SDGs. So we saw it as across issues on SDGs from companies today that handles issues of energy uh, creation. We are talking about companies that handling packaging. So it will be more recyclable and uh, so on. This is the biggest trends. I think the most Uh, companies that I've seen, new companies I've seen in the last 12 months were regarding energy and carbon-free companies that try to solve these issues because that the budgets are out there from the EU and from the US actually. Everybody is hurting to this uh, direction. Interesting. Okay, we'll hope to see more and more companies in this field. Let's do the speed round, guys. All right. It's going to be a lightning round. So one question, one line answers. Um, let's start with your favorite book or podcast or thought leader in the field of impact. And we'll just go around the way that you guys are sitting in the room. I'm very bad at remembering the names of the books. I don't know if I'm going to be very helpful here, but those are books that are about cooperatives and uh, alternative impact economies. Uh, actually, you, you just mentioned one of them today that I've not read yet, and I'm definitely going to go and read this impact book next. But usually it's everything that is related to alternative impact, looking at the issues of capitalism and how alternative economies uh, based on sharing and collaboration can uh, really be a viable solution. For me, it will be thinking slow, thinking fast. From Kahneman, I think that in order to do impact, you need to understand the basics of human being, how they think, how they react, and if you want to control their behavior or to move their behavior to a better place, this is the book that I will recommend. And not for sales, for impact. Don't use it for the wrong side, you know, for the wrong uh, reason. Yeah, and for me, uh I'm a visual person. I don't much read books. Uh, so I love documentaries and movies more. And now I'm watching a series called uh, Startup on uh, Netflix. And I love it a lot. Uh, it also encourages people to do uh, impact-related startups. What outside of your companies are you following? Meaning what startup or company or fund are you following on Twitter or whatever other social platform that you have or reading a blog on? the World Economic Forum for me. I'm following them like see first. I'm actually a member of their forum. Uh, I'm uh, the curator of uh, East Jerusalem Global Shapers Hub. Global Shapers is a youth initiative by the World Economic Forum. Well, I have a lot of accounts that I follow. It's not impact specific. It could be Justin Khan, that I think the founder of Twitch, that I think he did some uh, change in the way that he's thinking and he brings a lot of uh, guests in the impact area and Naval and so on. I think that thought leaders that can look 10 years ahead technology-wise, but can understand what our uh, universe needs uh, to do. I'm going to give you the googly uh, answer, unfortunately, here, which is uh, I'm just relying on Google feeds to give me a, a very diverse uh, set of recommendations. So I'm not following anyone in particular, but I get to see everyone from uh, impact uh, all the way to the 
not so much impact uh, billionaires of this world, which uh, I really appreciate actually looking at that type of contrast because it's how it triggers some creativity also for me. And last question, and be honest, we ask this from all of our guests. What is your most non-social, non-environmental habit? We all have one. Or ten. I, I can start with this one. <laughs> I don't feel so good about it, but uh, recycling is not uh, my forte, but I blame the city of Tel Aviv, so please do better. When I moved from New York, where we would do all the recycling, we had a bin for cardboard, a bin for plastic, a bin for bottle, a bin for everything, and it was in my building. And moving to Tel Aviv, there's nothing in my neighborhood, uh, let alone my building. I think I would like to see more uh, easy recycling to be done in, uh, in the city, and, and then I will uh, happily recycle more. <laughs> Okay, from environmental side, I think that I really love Formula One racing. It's not environmental and it's encouraged, you know, motoric sport. It's really not an impact issue, but I love it. This is not environmental and not social. I love people. I love to be part of the community, but I love to be at home. I love Zoom. I love to connect from distance. It's okay. I don't have to be with people all day long, but I love people and I want to, to help. Um, for me, it's a bit hard because uh, I'm a serious uh, environmentalist because I studied also environmentalism in, uh, in the university. So mine is, I don't do compost. I'm, I'm always on the run. I'm not sleeping in the same place. Uh, I'm, I'm a speed man, so I don't have time to do compost, uh, unfortunately. So as our listeners know, all of our guests have non-social, non-environmental habits, which means that you can be an impact entrepreneur or an impact lover without being perfect, which is great. Thank you guys for a fascinating interview and conversation. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You've listened to another episode of Double Impact. We could not have created this podcast without our producer, Idan Magadish, and production assistant, Ruth Moati. This episode was edited by Ophir Gal, and Evyatar Elad is our marketing specialist. Thank you to our guests, Erwin Woodbull, startup advisor at Sustainable Development Goals at Google, Adnan Jabbar, co-founder of Yala Rayada, and Gil Blumenfeld, CEO of Atarki. We could not make this podcast without the support of the Edmond de Rothschild Foundation in Israel and the help of Impact Nation. You can listen to all of our other episodes on your favorite podcast app. Please rate us so that other listeners can find us as well. Hope you will join us soon for the next episode of Double Impact. <laughs>